Edmonton. Stopped by Platt. Here's Steve Bold. And it's Adams. Put through by Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of That Sums It All Up. North London is red after Arsenal run out two on winners, courtesy of goals from Martin Odegaard and Alex Lacazette. It really does feel good, especially having lost the previous two games against Jose Mourinho's Spurs. As ever with the North London derby, there is plenty to get to grips with and fall out of the game. We've got to discuss Pierre and Bamiang's situation. The impressive team performance up until Eric Lamella got himself sent off, which is slightly ironic, and where this result leaves us in regards to the rest of the season. Also look ahead to Thursday's Europa League game against Olympiacos. We go into that one with a 3-1 lead and we've got a game against West Ham at the weekend. So lots of football coming up, but lots of important football too. So to help us cover it all, who else? But we've got Johnny Rosen back on the pod. Good morning, or goodly morning, Johnny. How are you on this fine? I'm going to call it a spring morn. It's not quite there yet, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a, it's a goodly morning. I'm doing really well. Just up bright and early recording this pod uh, with you as always. But yeah, it's a, it's a pretty nice day outside. Doesn't look too cold or rainy. It was very nice yesterday up here in Edinburgh. Mm. I don't know if you managed to get out at all, but it was like the nicest day, I think, so far of the year. Yeah. So doing well. How are you? Mm. Not bad, actually. Looking forward to to sort of more days like like yesterday and today, just where the temperature's a bit, temperature's a bit warmer and mm-hmm. light's there for longer. But yeah, in general, I'm pretty good. Pretty tired uh, in general, but I think... In terms of if we, if we uh, we relate that to football, I think games like Sunday really really do go a long way to to help the mood and the uh, the complexion of life. Because obviously we're sort of coming up to, uh, I mean, it feels like the last last hurdle of this of this pandemic. And I think maybe maybe there is a case of it sort of catching up with people at this point. I think people can see the see the end and. Uh, you know, sort of preparing themselves to start doing things in a more normal way, but actually realizing that this has been going on for, you know, a year now. And mm. I think these changes in life are quite draining. But yeah, in general, I'm pretty well and um, obviously enjoyed Sunday very much. So let's, let's get into it straight away off the back. Let's do it. Start from the beginning. So <laughs> team selection. <laughs> Um, obviously, there was a uh, there was a the minor issue of uh, of the club captain Pierre Emerick Aubameyang getting getting dropped to the bench. There was no Mart- Gabriel Martinelli in the squad, which I thought was was quite telling. Pepe was on the bench again. Cedric Suarez came in for Hector Bellerin. Apart from mm-hmm. that, I mean, I don't think there was anything that stood out for me. I thought maybe Pablo Mari would come in uh, to start, but I wasn't too. Uh, upset with the, with Gabriel starting, given his performance on in the week and mm. that sort of thing. So, what what did you make of of all of that? And we'll get into the Abamyang conversation afterwards. Yeah, you know, Abamyang aside, the the team was pretty much how I how I expected it to be. I, I actually wouldn't have been surprised if um, if Lacazette started ahead of Aubameyang just for tactical reasons because these North London derbies, they're always a bit of a scrap. And I just think Lacazette's a bit more of a scrappier player than Aubameyang. So, you know, when I when I initially checked the team news and I didn't know that Aubameyang was dropped for disciplinary reasons and I saw Lacazette was starting, I just thought, oh, it kind of made sense in my head. I think playing Cedric ahead of Bellerin definitely made sense. And going to go out on a limb and think I, th- I think Cedric's been our best right back uh, since Boxing Day actually and I'm I'm pretty pretty fond of him as a player I think he does everything pretty well had another solid game again on, um, against Spurs so good to see him in and then yeah no Marie in the squad no Martinelli in the squad for me I think the Martinelli thing's a bit of a non-issue issue I don't know what you think about it I agree with you on that. And a lot of 
you know, I speak to a lot of Arsenal fans and they really, I don't know, feel quite incensed and and Martinelli is is being done, you know, done really unfairly because he's not making the squad. For me, you know, he's 19 years old. He's had, had a terrible injury. Yeah, he's had bad injuries. He has been given his chances, not loads of them this season, but, you know, he came back in after for the Boxing Day game. He started mm. against Manchester United. He came on from the bench when we were chasing a, chasing the game. I can't remember exactly when it was. Uh, so he's had his chances. And I think it's quite clear what Arteta wants from either flank. I mean, maybe the only surprising thing is that he hasn't had more of a lick in up front um, in sort of place of Aubameyang when he's rested. You know, Lacazette is a very different player to him and Eddie Nketiah is not in with a chance. I think you could also flip that back. You know, the likes of Reese Nelson and, and Eddie Nketiah are playing with the under-23s. So I think, you know, Martinelli is no different from those guys in the sense that he's sort of come from, from um, you know, uh, youth football and clearly is not sort of tactically up to speed with what Arteta might want. And I think he'll get there. Um, I don't think it's an issue, but yeah, that's what I make of that. Yeah, no, I agree. I just think kind of everything you said spot on. He's clearly got a lot of talent, but he was playing in the fourth division in Brazil. Exactly. Joined us. Had had a had an outstanding breakout season last season. Surpassed everyone's expectations, no doubt. And we can also see the talents there, but he had a really tough injury, uh, kind of last May. Well, no, last June, and was out until mid December. Mm. Three months later, he's played a handful of games. He's got a minutes under his belt. We've got a pretty competitive uh, attacking lineup now in the squad. And I don't think there's any game that he needs to be rushed back for. Maybe look on, on the last day of the season if we're stuck in ninth and we can't go any higher and mm. we've got a Europa League touch word, a Europa League final to prepare for. Then we throw him in against, I think, you know, I think Brighton at home is our last game of the season, or or we throw him in the game before and get minutes under his belt so he's, you know, sharp and he's had game time in case we need him off the bench in a in a big Europa League game. But I think at this point in time, I've got no issue with how it's being handled. I don't think he's going anywhere in the summer. Uh and I, and I think his personality isn't one that would conflict with Arteta's. I just think it's more the case that he's really young. He's coming back from a big injury. And he's got Pepe and Willian who have started playing both really well. And Saka and Smith-Rowe and Aubameyang, Lacazette, they're all ahead of him. And it makes sense. So, yeah, I think no Martinelli in the squad I was fine with. As I said, I think the lineup was basically kind of as I expected. Um mm-hmm. In every way, I didn't think. I, the only thing I thought, which was, I wasn't surprised, but I thought Pepe would start ahead of Saka. And I thought Saka's looked quite leggy the last few games. And look, he came off at half time, so maybe there was something there. But yeah, other than that, pretty, pretty standard. Yeah. And I think let's just, just before we get on to, on to Aubameyang, um, yeah. I think there are some interesting things in, in the squad selection. Mm. Look, I think Martinelli, I mean, on the day, especially if if Aubameyang, we don't know whether he would have come on at all, but at that point, maybe it makes sense to have Martinelli on the bench. But at the same time, mm. Aubameyang's late, and I think Pablo Marie was going to be like the extra man in the squad anyway. So clearly, yeah. Martinelli wasn't going to be involved. So I think if he had known that Aubameyang wasn't going to play, then Martinelli would be on the bench as well. You know, when when Aubameyang, who often does start and he's part of our strongest lineup, I think, as we saw when Arteta first came in, Martinelli had a few great games, but it was a lot of the time without Aubameyang. And I think I'm not... Maybe maybe I, I can see where people are coming from. They want to see him have more opportunities from the bench, maybe in place of Aubameyang and start sort of moulding him into that Aubameyang role. But... Mm-hmm. You know, Arteta's never shown consistently that that Martinelli is a player that he he really you know likes. You can tell, um, uh, no, not that he not likes him, but 
clearly there's something there that he feels he's not ready. And I'm willing to sort of trust Arteta's judgment on that. I think it's also easier to say that when we're in a good run of form. I think if we were, if we just lost the North London derby and we were sort of where we were before Christmas, I think if Martinelli wasn't playing, um, we'd be saying, well, why are Lacazette and Willian getting minutes when this guy isn't? But mm. I, think I, but- I am willing to, to give it time. And you think about the young players who, have, who are impressing at the moment, the likes of Erdegaard, Saka and Smith-Rowe, they're very, very different to to Martinelli, and yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't think well, them. I think they're much more polished players. I think yeah. Martinelli needs uh, a lot of refinement. You know, he's 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 a quick dribbler. He's just very good running at players, but not necessarily kind of intricately intricate play and whatnot. So. I, I think the way I, I'm interested to see what happens with Martinelli and Arteta. I'm pretty optimistic. You look at the way, say, Sane and Sterling spoke about how spoke so highly of Arteta, yeah. and I don't think Martinelli. Um, I think Martinelli is somewhat comparable to them in kind of the position he plays, obviously, and whatnot. So yeah, I, 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 it's not an issue for me, especially when you've got, as you mentioned, players like William Pepe. They've noticeably improved over the last month. Uh, month or so and so it's not like we can be like oh these guys are playing terribly where's Martinelli it's actually everyone's playing pretty well right now yeah so it is what it is I also think like just to elaborate on your second point there I thought maybe Pepe would start today Mm. Uh, not today sorry in the North London derby and we're already saying that Pepe is not having enough getting enough minutes and he's been playing Mm. good football when he's come on so by that token you know, Martinelli is obviously behind him in the pecking order. And if Pepe is not getting enough, mm. then clearly that's saying something that even someone who like Pepe, who is, you know, ahead of Martinelli in terms of probably his tactical awareness and an ability on the ball, Arteta was clearly going for a certain type of player in those attacking positions around, you know, Aubameyang and... Um, yeah, I think there's not space at the moment, which is no bad thing. Obviously, we'd like to see Pepe get more minutes. I do think, I mean, I think we'll see him start against Olympiacos. Absolutely. I'd be really surprised and mm. upset if he didn't, because I think it is a bit of a weird one uh, that he came into the team sort of about a month ago and he was playing really well. He was scoring goals. He obviously came back in for the Leicester game, played brilliantly. Since then, he's had probably about just a, you know, he had a half against uh, against Spurs and he obviously sort of set Lacazette up for the for the penalty. Which was Brilliant pass. That's sort of what you want to see. Difference made. Yeah. Um, but even then, every, every sort of 20 minutes, 15 minutes he's got coming off from the bench, I think we've been used to seeing him not make an impact. But actually this time, he's looked really, really sharp. He He's linking up with his teammates a bit more Mm. he's he's picking the passes he's not just like losing the ball trying to take a billion people on so I am sort of hopeful that that something will come of that and he will deserve his chance you know yeah I also think Mm. Saka is probably who he's competing with at the moment and I think the way that Arteta's setting up he's very set on uh, Odegaard through the middle and then having a right footer on the left and then a left footer on the right and mm. it looks as if Saka, as you say, has been a bit leggy. I think maybe got a little hamstring injury. So definitely needs a rest. Let's, definitely. Yeah, let's rest him. There's there's no there's no point, you know, pushing it. And Pepe deserves his chance. So let's let's put him put him in against Olympiacos, start him against West Ham perhaps as well. He can share the game time with Saka. So that's sort of what I make of of that rotation side of things. Mm. Um look, let's get on to El Capitano, then. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, obviously, surprisingly named on the substitutes bench. And then Mikel Arteta, in his, in his pre-game interview with Sky Sports, says it's a disciplinary issue. It then comes out on via The Athletic that he was late to the team meeting. It's not the first time that that's happened. He's missed a COVID test off after a European game. Uh, he went to get a tattoo he's been late before so 
I mean, I think it was quite surprising and quite risky for Arteta to do that before a North London derby and also make it so public. I guess he didn't have to do that, but that was a choice he made. I yeah. have no issue with it, but I think that's easier to say after we've won the game. What are your feelings about it? And I mean, I guess let's let's maybe focus more on the reality because I think it's easy to say, well, if we lost the game, then Arteta would be in the doghouse, but we didn't and it paid mm. off. Real credit to him for doing that. I think it's a risk that, yeah. is, uh, you know, he, he put it on the line, but he came out stronger. No, definitely a strength move there by Arteta to kind of lay down the line and just say, look, you've you've been late, I don't know how many times, but clearly more than once. Obviously, the issue with the COVID test, the issue with the tattoo, and you've got to if you've got to be seen as as Arteta's so determined to have his non-negotiables drummed into the squad, he wants to be kind of this ruthless coach. And so it's got to apply to everyone, including Abamyang, even though he is probably our best player, he's our captain. I, I also had no issue with it. I, I, I've, I've listened to a bunch of people discuss it over the past few days. And as you say, they're all very hypothetical and they were like, well, if Arsenal lost, then it would have been terrible. But we didn't lose, we won. And so it is what it is. It was a good decision, I think. From the training photos yesterday, it doesn't seem as though there's any long-lasting effects. Yang looks really happy in training. I mm. think he'll start... Uh, tomorrow he'll start against Olympiacos tomorrow and it will all be forgotten the only thing I found interesting was how he revealed that it was a disciplinary issue to the press because mm. as I mentioned you know when I saw the lineup I, I could have I would have believed had he said it's for tactical reasons and Lacazette's kind of the kind of player we want in a North London derby is scrappier and then you bring a Bamyang off the bench with kind of half an hour to go or whatever but um, the one thing it gives Arteta is control of the narrative, which is important, especially when we've had issues this season uh, over like a, dress, a dressing room oh, mole or a training that. ground leak and things, stories coming up and emerging in the press without Arteta knowing about or away from Arteta's control. I think he's now hyper aware of that and just wants to be in charge of how the story unfolds. And this is that that gave him... Uh, that ability so you know I've got no issue with it. It, it for me it's been slightly overly discussed on other podcasts and mm. uh, more general kind of sports news channels I it's fine we move on yeah I agree it is fine and I think the main issue I have with it is is with Aubameyang to be honest because mm. You are club captain for whatever reason. Look, you can't help being late sometimes, but if it's happened on several occasions, there's been several moments that the club and Arteta have maybe been willing to look past. Mm. You know, you have a responsibility and clearly Arteta felt at this point enough was enough, whether it's the North London derby or not. You know, if 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 Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang are our star striker, who basically has been Arteta's talisman for the first period of his management, um, at Arsenal, won him the FA Cup, got his new, you know, 300 grand a week contract. If he's going to get dropped for the North London derby, I think that's a really important step and shows that, you know, no one can mess around. And I think about, you know, the young players sort of looking at that as well. I think that just really does set a precedent for, you know, the future. And I think it's a really good mm. move. And I'd like to think Aubameyang can suck it up because it's unprofessional and I've not got a problem with it. But yeah, let's move on. So first half then, um, by the end of it, it was one all. I think we dominated the first half and Definitely. played pretty well. Spurs mm. came out uh, sitting deep, not pressing, I mean, I, I was slightly concerned that Spurs were going to come out sort of playing the way they had against, you know, Palace and Burnley recently, really pressing and and unleashing that front four. But they reverted to a classic Mourinho sort of sit back and and not do anything and be mm. really passive. How did you see in general the first half before we get on to having a look at the goals? Um, yeah, similar to you. We, we definitely dominated, I think. I mean, they only had one shot in the first half and it happened to be their goal. It was the only time they got into the Arsenal box was when they scored. We were all over them, hit the woodwork twice, mm. um, obviously scored right at the end of the half, which was really important that we got the goal then. But um, 
in general, I, I was quite confused by how Spurs set up. I under, I mean, you, I understood kind of the the base logic or the base rationale, which is that they wanted to sit back and then get us on the counter. But I thought once Son went off, which was before the twenty minute mark, they would do something different because Son is a huge part of their counter-attacking approach. He is the one that carries the ball yeah. 40, 50 yards at pace. Kane can't do that. Lamella doesn't do that. Lucas isn't and this doesn't have the same drive. They don't Son's really their standout focal point for for attacking counter-attacking play. And then he he went off and I just thought it was clear from kind of the first 10 minutes we were going to enjoy the lion's share of possession. We were going to be in and around the, their final third much more than they were. But with a Mourinho team, you're always on edge because you know they can hit you. But I, it just never came. Bale had an off day. A dot, I mean, they had a nightmare on that right-hand side, which was good for us. We, we completely exploited that. And um, Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. I think on that right side... Um, they obviously had a nightmare, but I think that was their inability to cope with our strength down the left. I don't think, you know, ordinarily those, they would have been fine down the right, but we really exploited them. I think Smith Rowe down the left. Mm. I mean, the runs that Smith Rowe was making, I was, I was super impressed with how intelligent they were, you know, really like dragging the man inside and then out or vice versa. Um, running off the ball without it, with it, taking people on, having his, you know, his shot cannon off the crossbar, which I thought was quite funny. You know, I don't know if you saw his post-match interview, but he started to celebrate. Um, yeah. And I thought he was a real thorn in, in Spurs' side. And yeah, like you say, the Mourinho blueprint, I mean, it didn't... It's weird because you don't think that he can instruct his team to play like that because it was so terrible. But mm. by the same token, there must be some sort of instruction to, you know, uh, set up in the way that they did. I mean, yeah, I think they were unlucky with Son coming off. But even before then, I saw him getting really frustrated, um, you know, from the from the first sort of 20 minutes. He was losing the ball. We were getting tight. Um, they weren't pressing. They were sitting deep. Uh, so it really did look like they were waiting to suck up the pressure. I also think maybe they were taken aback slightly by Bamiang not playing. I don't know. I mean, Mourinho brushed it off in his in his pre-game interview, but I'm sure, you know, having the idea of a Bamiang starting as opposed to Lacazette is a very different proposition for a defence and even defensive midfield. I think the game plan would have been centred around probably sitting back and not letting a Bamiang mm. not get in behind, but the threat he poses sort of in front of that are sort of attacking three. So maybe they just didn't alter their approach and that maybe suited us, like you say, with Lacazette acting as a foil yeah. or for, you know, Smith Rowe and Erdegaard and I mean Saka Pepe, not so much. But yeah, it was really promising, especially to see our sort of bar Lacazette, Lacazette, that that youthful dynamic front th- uh attacking three as opposed to their, you know, really experienced, um expensive front three, front Mm. four, and we were just playing and they weren't. And I think that was a really nice comparison on the day to to take away from it, the direction of travel that we were going, we're going, but we'll get onto that a bit, just if you have anything to add on that. Yeah, no, I think about how our front three were able to play kind of really interchange with one another and, and link up well. I think a lot of credit has to go to Jacqueline Party in the first half, who just completely dominated Hoiberg and Dombele and Lucas. Mm. And I think that was, it's always a worry um, when you've got Xhaka on the pitch, especially in a heated emotional game like a, like a North London derby. But I thought, look, and we'll speak about the final kind of 15 minutes or so later on and Party's role in that. But Party's first half, I thought, was as good a first half as he's had this season. You know, he the, if you see the pass he plays to Smith Rowe and Smith Rowe hits the uh, hits the uh hits the bar, it's identical to his assist for Odegaard uh, in the first leg against Olympiakos. He's kind of wins the interception, but when he doesn't need a second touch, what as he's winning the interception, he plays like a cushion pass mm. off of his, I think it's his left foot in this game, right to Smith Rowe. 
who's then in so much space, got so much time that he can set himself and take a brilliant shot. And he's so unlucky that that doesn't go in. You know, it's, it's really fine margins there. Yeah. But I thought, I thought, yeah, I just thought Xhaka and Party in the first half it was like another level of midfielder. And look, Hoiberg has been very good for them this season. And, and, and Ondembele has stepped it up since a very disappointing first season. Um, but yeah, that that gave us the freedom going forward in their final third for Odegaard, Smith, Rowe, Saka. They didn't need to worry about what was behind them because there was a lot of security. Mm-hmm. And obviously, even further back, kind of along the spine of the team, Gabriel and Louise had a brilliant game. Um, I thought all game, even in towards the end, where we kind of dropped off, they they were all, they dominated Kane and. That solidity allowed us to be fluid in the final third. So they they kind of they definitely linked in together. But that's yeah. just what I had to say on it. No, I agree. And it and it was a case of I think everything coming together in terms mm. of the centre back pairing really on the ball, you know, winning the challenges early on, playing quite high, being aggressive, good on the ball. I mean, David Louise. You know, he does have a tendency to sort of dwell on the ball a bit more, but, you know, he has that range of passing. I remember a, a really nice sort of switch um, to the left-hand side at one point. You know, Xhaka in the midfield, I mean, look, he's he's capable of, of a Burnley moment, but then I think, you know, we've seen quite a few players be capable of that moment. So I'm, I'm quite mm. willing to look past the Xhaka of it all now. I think it's unfortunate that he's got this this sort of past since he's joined Arsenal because he hasn't been playing in a good team. But he has been exceptional, I think, over the last uh, the last sort of couple of months. He hasn't missed a game. He's played every Since Boxing Day. He's really stepped up. And I think, mm. you know, obviously Thomas Partey has been, was, has been good as well, but it's clear that he's not 100% fit at the moment. Um, but on your point about, about Partey's ball, I think it does make such a difference playing the ball quicker. We've been so used mm. to it, especially in midfield. I mean, Jack is sort of culpable of it sometimes, but the likes of Sabios and El Neni. Sabios. Sabios mm. takes so many touches before he gets rid of the ball and mm. slows the play down. And I think David Luiz and Jack also have a tendency to do this as well. They like taking touches and then picking their man. Partey is willing to sort of, you know, speed up the play. And I think that's so important for, for that front three or front four, sorry. Um, you know, to be able to get shots away, switch the play quickly. So I think, yeah, we were able to, throughout the team, play aggressively. Our sort of um, wingers or inverted wingers were able to really ping back, pin back their fullbacks. Um, I thought Smith Rowe was excellent. Uh, as I said, Erdegaard as well was, was wonderful mm. sort of coming in from that right-hand side more often than not. So... Aside from all of that, then Eric Lamella puts them 1-0 up. I mean, it was a great goal. I think I don't really want to dwell on it because I've seen so much coverage of it already. And, and it was an excellent, excellent sort of mm. bit of creativity. and, and Brilliant finish. Um, did you have any issue with the, with the goal at all? I mean, I don't think you can. Uh, I think maybe Saka can get out to Reguilon a bit quicker, but, you know... I don't think you can complain too much. No, I think it's the kind of goal that if we're going to concede goals, let it be those and not where we're kind of giving it to teams with an open net or kicking the ball into players in our six-yard box. Yeah, It was just, I mean, the whole move, and I don't think it's obviously not a planned move. It was very um, like impromptu or just kind of, they just saw Bale played a brilliant ball over the top to Regulian. Yeah, maybe Regulian could be closed down, but he's he's it's a first time pass into Lucas. Yeah. And then and then Lucas lays it off to Lamella and no one expects Lamella to rebona it through party's legs. Yeah. Right into the bottom corner. It's a fantastic goal. Um and that that's fine. If we're gonna concede fantastic goals. That's I, I've got no issue with that. It's just all of the issues I have when we concede goals are all the goals we have been conceding oh, recently, which were individual errors from our part. Yeah, but it was completely against the run of play. And the thing that was good is it didn't halt our momentum. And and sometimes you know, or quite often, goals completely change the way 
that the game gets played and can swing momentum. But we we stayed on top and, you know, we scored the equaliser and it was coming. It was completely coming. We hit the post after they scored and then we'll get, you know, we'll get to the Odegaard goal, but it was, it was really deserved. And yeah, we, again, it, it, it means had we not won the game, I wouldn't have been able to be like, well, look, Lamella's goal in fairness was just a brilliant bit of skill mm. because we, we've managed to win the game and deservedly. So I think as Arsenal fans, we can, we should be big enough to kind of take our hats off and just say that that's an outrageous piece of skill. Yeah. And I do think the fact that it was such a good goal and it came out of literally nothing as opposed to goals we've been conceding recently against the run of play that have come out of nothing but are because of our own mistakes. Mm. That is far more likely to sort of swing the dynamic of the game as opposed to an excellent goal like that. I think Mm. our our heads have gone down in recent games. I mean, obviously, a a lot of the time we sort of managed to come back, but... We, we, as you say, did not let our heads go down. We, we responded well. We sort of kept going and we were rewarded before half time. I mean, I was slightly worried that we'd go in 1-0 down and then Mourinho would sort of galvanise them and say, right, you've been playing rubbishly, but this is exactly what we want. Um, but we kept going and it was down the left-hand side. Um, again, Tierney having Matt Doherty on toast and mm. sort of does him on the outside Pulls back a lovely ball. I, I'm really starting to enjoy those cutbacks. I think it's really useful to be able to, instead of crossing it in, sort of hit and hope, an accurate ball, a cutback from the left or the right with someone coming in, whether it's Erdegaard or Pepe is quite good at it as well. But it was excellent to see that that Tierney could 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 find Erdegaard. I think he evaded the, the midfield duo. I think their marking was slightly slack. And Erdegaard yeah. got a connection um whether it was a great connection doesn't matter. <laughs> not the best connection but sort of bluffed one against from a similar position in the Olympiacos game as well I don't know if you remember mm, yeah early uh, on quite, yeah he was quite lucky lucky with the deflection but you know don't care we deserved it and that's what happens when you when you get into those positions and you and you and you sustain the pressure so I was really happy with that and Odegaard a couple of goals in in space of a couple of days he's really starting to look at home at Arsenal mm. and I mean what a what a piece of business you have to put your put your hats uh, take your hats off for for Edu basically and Arteta yeah. heads together for that because to sign a player like that who's made such an impact and can be such a huge part of how we want to play I think it's quite rare in the January especially on loan Really well. The news is kind of breaking this morning. It's not been confirmed by uh, by my sources, but I have to say that I have heard some rumours about uh, Odegaard already being in touch with his agent, who's based in Madrid, to begin negotiations over a permanent transfer, or, or either a permanent transfer or a second loan spell for next season. He's settled in brilliant here. Loves it here. I think the rumour transfer fee would be about forty million if it was to be permanent, but. That nothing's been confirmed by any, um, say, legitimate sources, but just a few rumours I've seen. So that would be really promising. And I thought, I thought the North London derby was probably his best game. And he's kind of in this stage where every game he plays because he hasn't played that many is like his best game, and it just shows how good he's playing and the the kind of the new the new aspect of skills or what the the variety of skills that he brings to our team which was lacking before before he signed on loan and yeah definitely a, a really mm. rare piece of good business in a January transfer window especially a loan deal I think big well, set up, well, step well, up from Neil Dennis Suarez been, signing been thinking about how how we need to change our perception of the of the loan or loan permanent signings of Pablo Mari and Cedric Suarez uh, you know they've they've come good <laughs> have they not yeah I, they've, they've been brilliant I think they got Cedric especially got slated. Uh, still probably gets slated. I mean, on the Arsenal Vision podcast, Elliot it seems to be his least favourite player along with William. And I just don't understand this the issue with Cedric or Marie. If you think they were signed for a kind of total of less than ten million pounds uh, combined, they've been, they've both been perfectly good players. And I'm not saying either of them are world beaters or mm. they're not going to be our kind of Cancelo and Diaz partnership like City is and take us to the next level oh, but they're definitely 
they're definitely not step downs on what we already have. And that's, I think, important. It's, I don't think Cedric's any worse than Bellerin. And I don't think Marie is any worse than any of our centre-backs. And so, really good signings again. And a you know, little bit of credit there to Edu. I think well. those, those signings were definitely coloured by by the situation we... Yeah. Recently, and also, you know, the, the agent links and, and the mm. one that Arsenal were... You know, obviously at the time, Ralph yeah, he was still in charge and far from convincing sort of running of the club. So I think those guys were definitely maybe caught up in that. But as you say, on the football, from a football perspective, they've shown they've been consistent in their performances. They've been available. They, they very much seem professional and they can contribute to this team. And just on Erdegaard as well, I think what we're seeing is a consistency in his performance that I think, yeah, has been so refreshing to not have to wait for something like that. He's come in and got up to speed really quickly mm. and already looks so at home and he he can press, he can shoot, he can you know pass, he's got a lovely left foot, he can he can pick the right moment. So I think in terms of what we're trying to do, I think Arteta has stumbled across some someone who who can really fulfill that role and it's great to see him work well with you know, the likes of Saka and, and Smithrow and whichever, you know, Bamiang. So I'm really happy with him. And he's been a, he's been a really good player for us um, in the last couple of weeks. Really important. I mean, yeah, arguably sort of, you know, a match winner, um, which mm. is not something I think we were probably anticipating when we signed him. But look, let's get on to the second half then. Um, and I think it can be split up into two sections up until Lamella got himself sent off. And mm, definitely afterwards. Um, mm. So Pepe came on for Saka at halftime. I thought initially it, it seemed like it had been a pre-planned switch, but apparently Saka's hamstring was was uh, was faltering somewhat. Had no part, no problem with it, and obviously he he played a, a wonderful pass to Lacazette for him to win the penalty. Um, you know, plucked it out from the sky, really like incisively split the defense, but with such like precision and power. Um, I really enjoyed that pass. And then Lacazette swung at the ball wildly. But then Davidson Sanchez, because Lacazette swung at it so wildly, basically gave away a penalty. And I had no problem with that. I mean, what did you make of the penalty? I, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but it's galvanised quite a reaction upon, among Spurs fans. No, I think... It, it's a penalty Mustafi would have given away, right? Like, that was my first thought. And I said to, to the guys that when I was watching the North London derby with a few friends, I was like, look, that's that's Mustafi in a Spurs kit. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where I think, obviously, Lacazette's momentum when he is going to try and kick the ball in Lacazette's Lacazette, so he misses the ball instead of kick it. But um, the momentum carries through. And Davison Sanchez's momentum carries through because he's anticipating uh, to have the block, and they collide in kind of in the middle. If you if you watch it down in slow motion, mm. um, and it looks like a foul, and it probably is a foul. And if that happens anywhere on the pitch, you would give a free kick, and therefore I think it's a penalty, fair and square. But we do we get lucky, not because. It's not a penalty. We get lucky in the sense that Lacazette misses the ball. If mm. Lacazette doesn't miss the ball and gets a shot off, it's never a penalty because mm. he's then basically played on through whatever contact that Sanchez um, gives him. And if there's a block, there's a block. And if there's not, well, then it's some sort of advantage or in the referee's mind, he's managed to get a shot off on goal. So it's fine. But because the referee sees the ball just bounce kind of a few yards away from Lacazette and there's been no contact mm. and the two players collide and Sanchez's movement is very rash. I think it's got to be seen as a penalty and it's definitely not a clear and obvious error, which is why um, the VAR, Paul Tierney, who was the VAR ref or just the VAR, didn't seem like he needed to overturn it. And I think Michael Oliver is a very experienced referee. I think we get a lot of good... Um, decisions out of Michael Oliver. I think we had he did the he did the FA Cup final where Kovacic was sent off. I think he did the other FA Cup final where 
Moses was sent off for Chelsea to Bookings. He did the FA Cup quarterfinal Old Trafford where he sent Di Maria off. Oh, and yeah. then he's done this North London derby where he sent Lamella off and given us a penalty. Yeah. Uh, and we got a penalty in that FA Cup final, you know, which Aubameyang scored. So, yeah, I don't mind. I love, whenever I see Michael Oliver refing one of our games, it's one of the few refs that I'm well, shit, yeah, here think, we go. I think it's important to, look, I can see why Spurs fans might think, you know, Lacazette's missed the ball and Sanchez was trying to play the ball. But I think that's mm. sort of irrelevant because Lacazette does what he does and then the connection is made. So, yeah, it's lucky. Exactly, yeah. Thinking hypothetically, well, his intention was to get the ball, but that doesn't matter because... Mm as contact and maybe it's really clever from Lacazette in a way because he's anticipating that Sanchez is diving in to stop the ball and he knew he wouldn't score anyway so he just misses it I think I think genius mm-hmm. um no obviously not but look um, he then tucked it away really well and that was a big moment I was I was I wasn't nervous because I think Lacazette's a great penalty taker sort of one of the things that he can do very well um and then I mean the brilliant next- penalty Brilliant, yeah. just to mention Great. on that. Great. Brilliant. Um, I mean, even if Lloris goes to that corner, he's not, yeah, he's not saving well, it. Really in the corner, isn't it? The next thing I sort of want to go on to is, is Lamella sending off. He, you know, he is one of those players, I think, you know, he really suits Spurs and sort of what Arsenal fans envision Spurs players being like. But, you know, he came on and he was aggressive and getting in people's faces. And I've got no time for... for for Spurs players like that, but mm. he he got booked for sort of siding down Thomas Partey. I think he could have been booked before then, and then swings a swings an arm sort of to to hold Tierney off the ball. I mean, it's a yellow card. I think I think he deservedly gets yeah, seven. completely. It's your two standard two bookings and and you're off. It's it, it, no nothing he did was a straight red but he was niggly all game kicking out at players talking back to Arsenal players just trying to instigate some sort of reaction off of whether it was Xhaka or Louise or Tierney whoever and yeah there's foul on party it's a booking you smash any player in in the kind of face with your forearm yeah if, if it's an elbow it's a straight red and people like yeah, I heard who was it maybe it was Jermaine Genus or someone whine about the fact that it was his arm and not his elbow but that's why it was a booking and not a red and not a straight red yeah and uh and two yellow card offenses and he can have no complaints and and, and Mourinho had no complaints after the game because he knew if you look at Mourinho's reaction it's right by the touchline when he commits the foul mm. he knew he was getting booked again and he knew it was off and it was it's just an idiot lamella and yeah well done he doesn't have a doesn't have a right foot, so he had to score a boner. He's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And um, and that was that, yeah, in my that, opinion. I just as we're talking about sort of uh, Lamella getting sent off, uh, I just wanted to I can't remember exactly when it was, I think it was some point in the second half, but Harry Kane. Um well Gabriel the Gabriel foul. Yeah, and I don't you know, I don't think that's a red card necessarily or anything, but I think the manner in which he he sort of makes that tackle after the ball's been played. And we've seen him do it so many times in different ways. He does that classic sort of uh, backing into the defender and then make mm. sort of topple over and land really quite dangerously on their back. But it was a really nasty tackle, I thought, um, sort of out of frustration, but no sort of regard for the, you know, a player's safety. And, and I guess a lot of the time, you know, if, if if we had a player who did that, then maybe we wouldn't really care. But I think, yeah, we're Arsenal fans. I I really can't stand Harry Kane when he when he gets away with those sort of things. I don't care that he's England captain, that he's the sort of darling of the nation. I mean, mm. it's ironic that it's Harry Kane who's darling of the nation. But I, I really, really dislike that sort of tackle where... There's no intent to play the ball. It's malicious. It's born out of frustration. It's really looking to yeah. hurt. And I really, I don't know, maybe it's mm. maybe that's my bias against Kane sort of getting in the way, but I, I, it sort of sickens me to see him get away with that sort of stuff. Oh, it's petulant. He's just a petulant, frustrated kid who was being mm. outplayed by Gabriel, who's a top-class centre-back. <laughs> But yeah, it's substantially younger than him. But Gabriel was 
had him all game and he didn't get a look in. And Louise, he then moved from Gabriel to Louise because he thought, well, I know that Louise has got a mistake in him. Not today. There was no mistake from Louise in, in, in kind of a high profile game where he had to be on his best performance. And so he was just petulant and he just runs and shoves Gabriel after he's played the ball. And I don't think many other players get away with that. And I think the fact that he is England captain and there is a narrative around him being this, as you say, darling of the nation, means that he gets away with much more than most. Mm -hmm. And it's pathetic. And I think the the FA and officials need to keep an eye out for it because he does a lot of these sort of snidey moves during a game that, that seem just to be solely to injure someone and mm. it could go very badly wrong. And we're, we're lucky that Gabriel is a tough guy and it didn't affect him, but the next person he does it to, and it probably may well not be an Arsenal player, but it, it will be a footballer and it will just be a shame because he'll end up causing a serious injury to a fellow uh, footballer. But it, yeah, just petulance really was my view on it from, uh, from yeah, Kane. Yeah. I agree. Um, well, look, Let's let's get on to the last uh, the last portion of the game. Then I it's weird because Lamella got sent off, and there were there were about five minutes where we actually looked fine, how I expected us to. And mm. then there was a series of before it got seriously bad. There were a series of sort of four passes that were loose, or we gave away. We'd keep we concede possession, or you know, the ball would go out into out. They would go out for a throw and we'd lose the ball. Mm. And I started think I started even before it became obvious that we were really panicking. I could see it developing. And I started to get seriously worried and frustrated because clearly we were tiring, clearly we were nervous, but there was no ability to. I mean, yes, we saw the game out, but we were incredibly lucky to see the game out. And I think that would have been such a devastating blow. But I mean, what, what what was it? Was it was it nerves? I think mainly, but that that comes from fatigue and the fact that we were down maybe to. I mean, they were down to ten men as well. There were sloppy passes. There were players sort of shouting at each other. Um, Thomas Party, I think, played a big part in, in sort of our our our. I mean, almost capitulation. I think maybe he should have come off because he was completely out on his feet. He yeah could not keep the ball. He was being run past he he looked sort of just like a body on the pitch mm. um and yeah i was um i was really quite concerned and that last 15 minutes was was torture because i was expecting them to score i mean when kane stuck that header away i just thought oh my god i, I could see it happening from a mile off yeah and then he got the the free kick which struck the post and then gabriel was in the right place at the right time to sort of divert Davinson Sanchez's header away. But I mean, what? how did you see that last bit of the game? Because as an Arsenal fan, I was really, I was, I was ready to, to sort of storm out because I could not deal with the, with the heat <laughs> and neither could the players. No, I think I agree. I think, I think Lamella gets sent off around the 76th minute or so with about 15 minutes to go. And initially we're fine and we're keeping the ball. And then I think, uh, and, and William comes on for Smith Rowe, which I think was a fine sub. I then think the issue was, I think about on the 80th minute or maybe 81st minute or so, Xhaka gets booked. And after that yellow card, that was when I really saw a big change in how we were able to keep the ball. And we looked like a bag of nerves and I think a lot of it was the game state and we were very emotional. A lot of young players out there, a lot of players playing in their first North London derby who really wanted to um, to see this through and and win. And I just think it let, was a combination wait, wait, wait. of... Because I, I heard that as well. I remember Dave Louise talking about that at the end. But yeah. let's just remember that by that point, Saka's off, Smith Rose off, I mean, everyone else is pretty experienced on the pitch. So, like, I understand that. Yeah, Odegaard. Odegaard and Gabriel. Gabriel. I mean, Tierney is a, quite an emotional player. Party, who's yeah. obviously looking to make amends. I Cedric. Thought the, I thought the, the, the reasoning of, of, of young players 
sort of being emotional was was not relevant i think it yeah was a place of fatigue and yeah just losing the really feeling feeling the pressure and like you say as soon as we start if we misplace one pass or we give away one foul or leno continues to baffle me in terms of his inability to sort of dictate things from the back and you know mm. he'll play it short sometimes and then put us under pressure or hoof it long in the wrong moments and you know I think as soon as those sort of things started accumulating I think the the sort of collective team just sort of jolted and was like oh god like this this sort of thing is happening again and we're yeah. gonna lose and I think that is definitely a sort of you know it's a byproduct of of what Arsenal have been for a lot of the season and and in the past unable to to sort of see out games or or get the results that they deserve from their performances because of individual or collective um, inconsistency and and lack of concentration and discipline. So, yeah, I think it was really, really nerve-wracking. But... Yeah, I, I was convinced we were going to concede. Uh, yeah, and really how convinced. that would have been. And I think, I also think, specifically with this game, the substitution El uh, Neni to Lacazette didn't help at all. It came one, it came too late. It came in the 88th minute. It probably should have come earlier, 84th minute or so. And I wouldn't have taken Lacazette off. I think Thomas Party was clearly just gone. He's and, and this is an to put his performance down because I think up until the 70th minute, he was one of the best players on the pitch. As we said, he dominated the midfield with Jacques in the first half. And we've seen, top, he can only class really do. He can only really do 70 minutes at the moment. Yeah, and he look, he didn't have a pre, pre-season. He's been kind of dogged with injuries this season as well. And he needs time to get up to full fitness. And it's not a criticism of his ability as a player. And I, I think he's been a very good signing and he's still definitely our best midfielder. But he commits a, the stupid foul, which I think they end up, uh, which is when Kane hits the post. That's him who fouls. Uh, I think he fouls Kane. He gives away a corner right at the end for no reason, just seems to overhit a pass. And I would have much rather seen him come off for Elneny than Lacazette because you give away your your extra man when you take off your striker. Because then at least in the back of mm. you know Sanchez's mind and Alderweireld's mind, we've still got Lacazette up there. He can hold the play up, bring Pepe, bring William into play. But without him, we lose that focal point at the top of the pitch, and it's just, it's just a bit of a mess in midfield. And so, yeah, I think that didn't help us. But it, I don't know what it was. It, it was, it's you know, Arteta was really vocal. I think he said it's like the worst ten minutes of football we've played under his management, and it was just, it was just terrible, frightening. Well, really it frightening really was. To watch. It was. It was terrible to watch, but it was horrendous like to see a football team yeah. in the lead knowing how important it was both for Arsenal fans but for the neutral as well to see us yeah being unable but, to deal with the game state and the pressure and maybe understandably so it's it's a really high intensity game and maybe Arsenal fans shouldn't expect this team to be able to hold on but I think hopefully you know we've in that game we've held on in the Olympiacos game you know, we could have gone gone down after sort of conceding a stupid goal, but we came back. Yeah. And moments recently where, despite you know the signs of the capacity to shoot ourselves in the foot or making mistakes or whatever, we've actually managed to come through. So I'm really hoping that this can be used to sort of as a benchmark in the players' minds and the squads' mm-hmm. minds to be like, look, we can sit here and uh, we can do this and rely on ourselves to hold it together when we need to. And we've got enough going forward. So look, let's, let's move on from the game then and sort of where that game maybe leaves. I mean, first of all, how do you see Arsenal and Spurs now sort of, I think it's quite a nice moment to, to compare and contrast just before we assess how this result maybe leaves us in, in good stead for the rest of the season, perhaps, but what, what, how do you see, yeah, Arsenal, Arteta, Spurs, Mourinho after this result? Because I think as Arsenal fans, we've we've been quite supportive of the idea of Arsenal under Arteta compared to Spurs under Mourinho. I think there's been worries at 
at times but personally I've always been very pleased with the idea that we are not going down the Mourinho route for example Mm. I think look if you evaluate and assess the two managements so far across their entire duration so when Arteta came in towards the end of 2019 and I think Marina came in a bit further I think you would have to say Arteta's done a better job he's won two trophies if you include the community shield but he won the FA Cup and we're four points behind Spurs now and I just think it's stupid individual mistakes that are why his management isn't like why we're not reflecting how good his management is you know the game against Burnley the game against Wolves those are two games we should have won and if we win those then we're kind of two points ahead of Spurs and you're saying well we're clearly on the right path it's just again individual mistakes I think there will be a lot resting on the Europa League this year for both teams and it will be very interesting to see how Mourinho approaches that compared to how Arteta um, does. You know, we saw when he was managing United, he, he basically gave up on the league, I think finished sixth, but won the Europa League. And I think it's, it's pretty likely that something similar will happen again. And now, I, now both clubs are pretty much out of the race for top four, in my opinion. There's just too many teams in between us, Spurs, and then the fourth fourth place and so I just yeah how I judge them I just think both have done all right but I think Arteta is kind of doing a better job because he's won more trophies and at the end of the day you're you're judged on your trophies if Mourinho goes and win the, wins the Europa League this season it will completely change that verdict but mm. at this point in time you've got to just say Arteta's actually doing okay and he's being let down more by individual mistakes rather than individual mistakes letting uh, rather than him letting the team down whereas Mourinho his tactics are letting his players down rather than his players letting him down and that's where I think the difference is yeah and I do think just to sort of yeah summarize my feelings on it I think the direction in which again I obviously see it with the glass half full and I'm an optimist mm. around Arsenal. And I'm willing to support the, you know, the management and the direction, but I can see as an Arsenal fan, the direction, you know, when I see Erdegaard, Smithrow, Saka, Tierney playing against the likes of Lucas Moura, Kane, Bale, Son, who are all very much sort of experienced older players and we are encouraging them to play and you can see it's a blend of individual quality, but also tactical sort of um, assurance and and information from Arteta. I think the the direction of travel that Arsenal are on um, in terms of young players and in terms of wanting to play and have the ball and be sort of um, active as opposed to passive a lot of the time, I think it's really encouraging to see where we're trying to go compared to where Spurs sort of are I don't see. Look, they 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 have the players to still salvage, you know, or or make something of this season, and I'm sure they'll they'll do something because Mourinho is very experienced, and they have, you know, mm. arguably the best striker in the league and the best wing, one of the best goal scoring forwards in the league as well. So, I think it is just um, it's encouraging to see what we're capable of and where we're going to be going because. I think it's it's promising. And like you say, to be where we are at the moment, having had, you know, arguably the most disastrous period of our recent history in this season mm. and to have such have had such upheaval and off the field, on the field. But I, I do just think that we're starting to hopefully see the 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 beginning of where Arteta wants to go with this with this team and and with the club. And so I'm I'm very positive with it all. And um, look, where 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 can we where can we take this result? Because I think you know we're still tenth, albeit four points off Spurs. I think we are five points off Liverpool um, in sixth, albeit with a game in hand. But we've got mm. a game in hand at the weekend against West Ham, who are fifth. 
we then face Liverpool. So the next two league games um, are pretty massive in terms of if we're going to climb up the table, then these ones are huge in doing so. And then, of course, we've got the Olympiacos game, the second leg this week, which I'm hoping, touch wood, we are going to be capable of holding on to the lead and using those three away goals. But yeah, how do you assess the rest of the season then from an Arsenal point of view? Uh, I, you know, I think the next the next three games are massive, right? If we let's, let's assume that we get through to the quarterfinals of the Europa League, that's you know, then we then we can actually start thinking about can we win this competition? Because at, at this point in time, last round, round thirty two, round of sixteen, yeah, it's fine. You're in the early knockout stages, but when you're through to the quarterfinals, if we get a good draw, we're in the semifinals, and there's going to be teams. There's going to be a Rangers. There's going to be a Granada. There's going to be those sorts of teams, a Molder that could that we could get in the quarterfinals, assuming we get through against Olympiacos. And you pick one of those out of the hat, and then you're thinking, right, well, we should get through to the semis. And if you're in the semis, you're thinking about the final and winning it. So let's get Thursday out of the way and over the line, and just do a nice professional job. I don't yeah. need to see us just- go gung ho. Just, just, just get it over the line. A two nil win, one, one nil win. Yeah. Let's just get a, let's get a clean sheet. Uh, and I, I could be the most boring nil nil draw. You know, I, as long as we keep a clean sheet, there's going to be no issues, and I'll be really happy with that. I'm sure we'll see some rotation. And then, yeah, the West Ham and Liverpool games are massive because if we want to finish in the top six, those are the teams we need to be taking points off of directly. We can't be winning our games against Palace and Brighton and then hoping that they also um, drop points. We need to be making sure West Ham drop points by taking points off of them. Mm. And if, look, I think if we can win those two games and by sort of early April, we really do close that gap, then I'll be thinking with our run-in, which is pretty nice fixture-wise, we could be, we could sneak into that top six, but it's a long way off at the moment. I think we are at a point, and again, I'm, I've I've touched the wooden cabinet next to me about four times now. I expect us to get through to against Olympiacos. I would be really disappointed. I think this year, if we, I mean, it's quite a high expectation, but I think we are capable of of winning this competition, and maybe that's a dangerous thing to say, but I think we we are capable, and it would be a really really important sort of thing to to try and do. I mean, I, I don't know if I told you, I had a dream uh, a few months ago that we won the Europa League. And I remember, the fe- I remember the feeling afterwards. I was like, I couldn't quite believe that that meant we were in the Champions League. Just imagine, it would be so yeah. crazy. And maybe it's too much too soon because- maybe, You're very surreal. Yeah, and maybe that in itself is an indicator that we're not quite there. But I also have a sneaky feeling that if we are to progress- I have a feeling we're going to meet Spurs or United at some point. Um, I think we'll we'll have to because eventually, like we saw when we got to the final against Chelsea or when we were knocked out in the semi-final against Atletico Madrid, um, and we'll put last season's kind of exit as a bit of an anomaly because hopefully we get through against Olympiacos tomorrow. But if you want to win these competitions, especially the Europa League, because there's usually two or three teams that stand out above the rest as the best, Mm. uh, you have to play them. And I think whether we get to the quarters or semis and end up drawing a United or Spurs or you meet one of them in the final, you have to play them and beat them in order to win the Europa League. You know, I think... I thought AC Milan looked really good against United. I don't know if you watched that game, but they looked, they, I think they were basically the better team and were unlucky um, not to actually win that game or it would score be more goals. If, if, we, if we met with, with Spurs or, or United. Yeah, well, I would be, I think it would be maybe, I mean, an Arsenal-Tottenham final would probably be the biggest North London derby ever. Not, I don't know if you could say ever, but, but definitely of the last... Yeah, of recently. 30 years in our, in our lifetime. United, I think, I mean, maybe it's just me because I'm surrounded by United fans and I I feel their their fandom intensely, but that would also be, in terms of classic rivalry and stakes on the line, I think any English team that you face up in a European competition is massive. But look, let's, um, let's look ahead briefly before we wrap up for today. Um, so we've got Olympiacos 
on well tomorrow because we're recording on Wednesday. Uh, yeah. I think we'll see Pepe and Abamyang start. I think Bellerin will come back in. I think that I wouldn't be surprised to see Xhaka start alongside Sabios because I just don't know whether he'd go Sabios and El Nenny. I think Partey will will sit on the bench. Mm. Um, so credit if Xhaka can manage it because you know he he seems like he's capable of doing it. Um, and maybe we'll see maybe Kieran Tierney rested, although maybe not as well. I don't think we'll see a few players come in, but I think he'll play a very strong side because he's not willing to sort of write it off as we're through, you know? Yeah, I think we'll see the centre-backs change. Yeah. Could see Holding and Murray come in for um, Gabriel and Louise had a complete mind blank there for a second. But I think we'll see them change. Could we see Callum Chambers play? Played against Burnley? I, on the bench in the North London derby? I wouldn't be surprised. But I also think maybe this... This lineup will also reflect. I think we have to take into consideration West Ham as as yeah, much exactly. as the priority. I think we very much can view the two team selections as one, if you know what I mean. So, mm. for example, I think against West Ham, a very physical side, I'd like to see maybe I don't know. Maybe you play Callum Chambers against West Ham. Maybe not. But in terms of their threat set set pieces, Sue check. Suchek and, and maybe you play Pablo Mari um, as well in that game as opposed to the other, but Gabriel's also very good in the air. He's dominant. So I think the selection tomorrow will also be with an eye on, on, on the weekend's game. Um, like you say, I don't think centre-back rotation matters too much. And I think, yeah, players who maybe haven't had a few minutes like Pepe and Aubameyang, Bellerin will come in in the Olympiacos game. And that's not to say that they wouldn't play against West Ham as well, but yeah, it, it's exciting. And I think the West Ham game is massive. Um, obviously it's a London derby. They are fifth. They are a team who I think they've been brilliant, but we can take points off them if we, if we turn up on the day, but it's going to be a really tough test. And I think, yeah, after that game, we'll, we'll sort of know where maybe we're capable of finishing in the league. Um, because if we don't take points off them, then, you know, then we've got Liverpool after the international break. And that's going to be no easy task, even though Liverpool are sort of struggling or whatever, they'll they'll find a way of, of turning up against us. So if there's anything else you want to add on that before we wrap up for today, I think we've we've covered plenty. As you say, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty important period, as it has been sort of on loop for the last couple of weeks. So mm. look, let's hope that uh, we get through to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. We'd love a good performance against West Ham as well, but let's leave it there for today. A pleasure as always, Johnny. So thanks again for your time. Massively appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the pod as always. And you can find Johnny on Twitter at Johnny Rosen one and be sure to follow Football Transfer News on Facebook or Football Transfer News underscore official on Instagram. I'm sure with the season not drawing to a close, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of uh, snippets of transfer activity that will start filtering in through those accounts. A quick reminder that you can find every episode of That Sums It All Up on my Mixcloud page. You can also find all the shows via my Twitter, Alfie Steiner one I'll be back on the pod soon. Probably not straight after the Olympiacos game, if not definitely after the West Ham game at the weekend, because as I say, I think you can view those two games as uh, as conjoined at the hip. But look, as always, thanks a lot for listening. Hope we all enjoy our week and it all goes well from an Arsenal perspective. So until next time, take care and speak to you then.